Welcome to Don't You Lie to Me. <laughs> okay, let's go. Don't you lie to me. I'm going to have another drink. Don't you lie to me. Explain that to the kids. Don't you lie to me. Okay, let's hear that story. Let's start interviewing. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Don't You Lie to Me. I'm your host, Jeff Bell, and I'm here with our producer, Warren Hicks. Uh, In this podcast, we're going to be talking to Brandon Cordry, who works at the Visual Art Exchange in Raleigh and is also an exceptional artist. Uh, If you'd like to check out Brandon's work, you can go to brandoncordryart.com. You can also go to our website, which is don'tyoulietome.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our Twitter feed is D-Y-L-T-M-N-C. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Brandon Cordry, an amazing artist, and also he works at the VAE Raleigh. I was just uh, talking to him in my mind. I always think Visual Art Exchange, but he has corrected me that now maybe I should refer to it as VAE. That's good. I like VAE. (laughs) It makes it easier. And what is your title at VAE? Currently, I'm the Director of Exhibitions. And what what does that mean? I mean, you've got a lot of different (laughs) forms of the way art takes place over there. Yeah, um, we have a small staff of five people. So um, our executive director is also our janitor. So (laughs) there are not set job roles that we adhere to very strictly. But we, so last year we had 62 exhibits. And so I oversee those. Other staff members help with exhibits, but um, I sort of directing them as my title would suggest those range from 20 day shows that are solo exhibitions in outside venues including like architecture firms to two-month um installation heavy exhibitions in our our cube which is a more experimental space there's a lot of moving parts Um, we also apply for a lot of grant funding to keep the lights on and partially to keep staff paid um (laughs) so i help with those And then there's just a lot of communicating with artists. Last year it was um, over 1,600 artists that we engaged with. And so most of the time, if they have a question, it's uh, my email that they find (laughs) or my phone number, which goes directly to my cell phone, that they get a hold of. So, I mean, that's probably the best part because creative people are creative. They are. (laughs) Like you said, there's a lot of different venues. There's not just necessarily the the building there on Market Street. Can you give us the VAE website so people can find it? It's www.vaeraleigh.org, and we're located at 309 West Martin Street in downtown Raleigh. Whenever someone comes to me, like as an artist starting out or a person that just moved to the area, I'm always like, well, if you're not connected to Visual Art Exchange, you are a maniac. Because, I mean, it's just amazing. Both Warren and I have been, you know, involved or connected to Visual Art Exchange in different levels. And I think we've both benefited so much by that connection. And, and it's just a great resource. The The things you do for artists on a lot of different levels is pretty incredible from exhibitions to just learning the business. You have a lot of classes related to how to be an artist. Can you talk about that a little bit? So Ignite has transitioned in the last two years because the internet has changed the way that everybody learns, right? So a lot of how to do your taxes, how to write an artist statement, those things are readily available on the internet. And we actually 
can point you to them on our resource page of our website. So then we really wanted to figure out if you're physically coming to our space or another space where we're holding an event that's supposed to be educational, what is it that you can't learn on the internet? What is it that you actually physically need to be in the space for? And so a lot of that's community driven, um, learning what else is in the community, learning what other people are doing with the resources in the triangle and across North Carolina. So um, all of those hands-on sort of educational things ultimately culminate in the Ignite Creativity Festival, which just happened at the beginning of June. And um, that's really focused on one theme each year that relates to how artists are impacting our world and what tools they're using and where they found support. It's important to talk about where you hit a wall or failed, how you tweak something, how you made it better. So this year we covered um, things like art as an economic driver, like for the town of Wilson with the Whirligig Park. We had um, our keynote speaker was Vanessa German from Pittsburgh, and she talked about how her artwork and her making art connected her to her community and engaged them in making art. And then that in turn made her community a safer place. And it's actually pushed her professional art career. And so this year's theme was community and how artists give back to their community and how that in turn makes their community give back to them. And we all benefit from one another. So we had multiple people talking about that. So the ultimate answer to the question of what you can't learn on the internet was inspiration, which right. is a terrible, awful word that's <laughs> so corny, but it's kind of true. I mean, people left Ignite feeling really inspired by what other people had done and the way that they were able to talk about it, um, like the ideas that were pitched there. And so they went away feeling a lot better, but they also had actionable items because they knew what resources in the community had been used. They knew who they could go to to talk to. It was incredible, and Vanessa's speech was, uh, or her segment was just uh, really, really amazing and uh, so rewarding. And I think, I think you're right. The, the inspiration side of thing is is so difficult. You can get, as you said, so many things online now. It's difficult to have that sense of community. I think just seeing, just merely getting together with other people and seeing that they're doing things kind of. Uh, empowers you to feel like, yeah, hey, I can probably uh, do some of these things myself. The first time I um, met Brandon was several years ago when I worked at Cam Raleigh, and he worked at every other uh, art venue in the Triangle area. I think the first um, email I got from Brandon, the signature line was about 18 different <laughs> different. Um, different jobs. I think you worked at, you were working at Flanders, at CAM, at VAE, at Arts Access. What was the publication you wrote for also? Triangle Artworks. And you taught art at Pullen Park. Do you still teach art at Pullen Park? I do. Yeah. I have a class this winter. And what class is that going to be? Uh, so it's a mixed media class, but it's really focused two-dimensional and it's sort of creating interesting surfaces to use for printmaking, drawing, painting on, uh, continuing to like do mixed media collage work on top of. But um, we're going to be layering a lot of things, sanding the crap out of them, adding more things, digging into that. It'll be very experimental and people will hopefully come away with something they can use in their own practice afterwards. That's cool. So, but over time, you have pared down the number of jobs you have. Does that feel Slightly. does that feel good or bad, or how do you feel about that? It's been good. Um, I've loved all the places I've worked in the community, mostly in Raleigh, and I'm still close with all of those people. 
because for some reason, you know, they, they don't hate me enough to not talk to me. But it's really nice, you know, as like personal life gets more complicated to just be able to think about one place and one mission statement and one uh, group of coworkers and focus on what I'm doing there, even if that is quite varied. Um, so I am full-time at VAE now. And so I, I really think about my impact on our art community through what I can do at VAE. And if something doesn't fit that mission, I can sort of pump it back out to those contacts I made working at so many other places right. and be like, hey, I thought of this and it's stupid, <laughs> but you should do it. <laughs> Bye. Right. We'll see you later. <laughs> no, that's that's great. Um, I think it's it's pretty amazing. We have a, a, I feel like a fairly small arts community, but we have a lot of different venues and to be connected in different ways in those different levels. It's so helpful to meet people or connect people that are in other areas like all the time I'll be talking to someone and say well you should talk to so and so and it's just it's just amazing how many people out there are doing different things that are benefiting art in the triangle area and throughout the state so i want to get a little bit of background on you i know you grew up in the mountains is that correct up near Asheville? yeah yeah and what town was that uh rutherfordton Rutherf- north carolina Ru- that's a lot of syllables mm-hmm. rutherfordton yeah, added it all in there <laughs> right and I know that you were were or are an athlete, right? Yeah, yeah. My body's falling apart on me a little <laughs> bit right now, but uh, when it's working properly, I swim five days a week. And you went to school for swimming to college? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, you got your facts wrong. I thought oh. you went to ECU. No, so I did. I did go to ECU. Um, yeah. I actually went for an art degree. Surprisingly, you right. Know? Sorry if that ruined why I'm on the podcast. No, never mind. Let's let's cut it short now. <laughs> did you swim while you were at ECU? I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went to ECU because of the School of Art, and right. then um, they also have a really great aquatics program. So I swam for um, the university and the club swim team. Yeah. Very cool. What did your work look like when you graduated from college? Has it changed dramatically since then? Yeah. Um, so when I graduated... My senior show was very mixed media, but it was really obsessive. Uh, Scott Eagle, who's still a professor there, was somewhat influential on me. And so I was cutting out tiny little pieces of old, you know, um, secondhand books and and making these giant pieces of two-dimensional work with tiny little elements. And then I would spend hours cutting, hours gluing, and then like ball it up, ball up the piece and like run it over with my car or leave it out in the rain or power sand it with 80 grit sandpaper, wiping away just like hours of work. But it would create these interesting surfaces. And then I would continue to work on that and that would continue to evolve. So when I I left, my color palette was much more earth tone-ish mm-hmm. than it is now. It was All of the colors were fairly rich in that earth tone sort of range. A lot of the work was figurative, but with without the actual human figure being in there. So like trees that were figurative, things like that. And yeah, my work has changed a lot. I think I, I left undergrad and I was like, oh my God, screw that. Like so much time um, wasted. And then I moved to Raleigh right afterwards and I decided screw that, I'm going to do drawing for a while, and I did, and then I decided I was going to do very, like, color field painting, 
And so it was like blocks of color, sort of think like really simplified paint by numbers. And that made me work in more colors than I was before. So I had a, a show, I should give them a shout out at Gallery A, which is actually a dentist office and Five Points, mm-hmm. because when you're young, you have to show everywhere. And they took it, I mean, they have a built-in audience. It's actually a pretty cool place, but you just hear dentist office first. So someone's like getting a crown next to your painting, which is kind of awesome. And But they have dedicated gallery space. They do, it's yes. a, I mean, it's, it's a pretty nice space. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's really nice, yeah. So I took these paintings there, and they were, you know, working in these different temperatures and really pushed my color in a lot of different directions. And then post sort of a drawing and painting era, I started going back into more mixed media work. And now I'm very, I'm back to being very heavily mixed media, somewhat obsessively. Um, But those things have, those sort of two breaks from mixed media um, followed me. So I do a lot of drawing in my work now, um, on top of mixed media collage kind of work. And then I, my color range is like friggin' highlighter yellows and, mm-hmm. you know, crazy colors, um, which I really love because I'm using a lot of images from like library of Congress, um, a lot of open domain historical images. And those colors really pop with those fun historical images. So, so talk a little bit about that. I know, um, you know, I've seen that in your work, like, um, things like maps, things like portraits, other things. Talk about what, where you pull those, what sort of significance they have for you. Yeah, um, so if you've never been on the Library of Congress website, it's an amazing treasure trove of things. I mostly search you know, images, photos, prints, whatever. Also, they have great audio files of crazy sounds. And so I, I, I tend to be thinking of something, a particular um, idea I want to explore in a piece, and I'll start searching words around that. And then I look through all of these photos, and sometimes I find what I want, but sometimes these historical images don't necessarily have the terminology that you'd think to search them under today. So I'll find a lot of other things that are aesthetically interesting, and I'll just save them. And then eventually I'll get I'll either get the image that I want that sort of pushes the the original idea I had further, or I'll find something else that sort of changes the idea and um, makes it evolve in a different way. Um, and sometimes it really does cause ideas to go to the back burner. It causes new ideas to take over. So for my most recent body of work, I really had an overall idea I wanted to explore. And then I just started looking through images and the images I started out with when I first started researching the show are not the images I ended up with in, in the end, but the idea was only really strengthened by looking through and finding all of these new images and digitally collaging them, printing them out, and then transferring them, and then collaging over top of them. So this was the show at Flanders? Yeah. And what was that initial idea? What was the driver? So a lot of my work um, since I've gone back to mixed media collage has been information and how much information swirls around us through things like crazy ass podcasts um and google and the internet and the radio and i mean there's just i mean in your day-to-day there are very few times unless you're intentional about it that you're not around this sort of swarm of information and so I've been thinking about how we get this information, how we take it in, how we change the context of it, how we regurgitate it, and how, you know, the the new context we put it in changes things. Um, And so 
when Kelly and I, Kelly McChesney, the director of Flanders, sat down together to talk about the show, I was thinking about the primary season. And that information only seems to increase during primary seasons. At the time, I mean, this was, you know, last fall, I guess, um, last summer. I had no idea what crazy shit would go down during the primary (laughs) season. So the idea was only strengthened by the, the crazy people who decided that they would love to be president. And so I started with that idea, the idea of all this information that we get during the primary season and how the bulk of information, the the massive amount of it actually hinders us. It doesn't make us more informed. It makes us more confused. It makes us more dogmatic because we can decide we only want to listen to or watch or read this particular type of information. You know, maybe you only look at conservative media Mm -hmm. and it just helps you to dig your heels in while, you know, your uncle is looking at MSNBC. And so (laughs) you're not compromising. You're only digging yourselves in further. And then this primary season hit and that became super true. I mean, all the people that ran from the Republican side, you know, half of which no one remembers anymore because there was just so many of them. They're all putting out information. You know, Donald Trump is still putting out information. um, And they're all doing it in different ways. You know, then you had Bernie and Hillary and all this information's coming out. All of it's changing daily. It's being updated. And so I, that idea was strengthened by that, but it also, I decided not to, there's no, in that body of work, there's no imagery of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. It, it was just about the information. It wasn't partisan in any way. The, the finished work wasn't. It was just about how we're getting that information and then how we use that information to vote. In a lot of the work, you see sort of faces or you don't see faces. There are a lot of uh, butterflies or airplanes or something like that. Is that. Are they sort of stand-ins for the information that you're talking about? Yeah, so a lot of my previous work um, was this sort of a literal visual swarm of this collage material, um, mm-hmm. and it was sort of blocking people's faces or or making up their entire body, and that was that information. Um, and then for Flanders, I, I took that those visual themes that have been happening so much, um, the butterflies, the roses, insects, um, airplanes, warplanes, and I made them three-dimensional. So I made these sort of literal swarms or orbs of information using butterflies and planes, and some of it was two-dimensional, some of it was three-dimensional. And then that sort of, I made a lot of that before I got around to the two-dimensional work. So I split the gallery. Half of it was an installation, half of it was two-dimensional work. And so that installation part, I sort of blew that all out of my system. And I literally took it off the page and made it into real life. And then only later did I realize, then I I guess I just purged myself of it because I, the two-dimensional work had no airplanes, no roses. It mm. didn't have orbs. It didn't have this swarm of information. Um, so it was, it was really nice to sort of, I, I'm not saying cap. I don't know that I'll never do that type of work again, but sort of uh, have this nice cap. If I don't ever do it again, it will, it will, <laughs> I will look back and be like, oh, it wasn't that amazing. Um, <laughs> and then have this sort of new body of work come out of that exhibit. Right. I mean, obviously you're talking about this, the sort of uh, 
the subject matter, the things you're using for the for the installation, the physical idea of dealing with three dimensions versus two. How do you approach that? Do you feel like it's a very different thing or is it an extension of the way you are already think about things? I think the one thing that provided continuity was that even the three-dimensional objects that I used in, in making these mixed-media three-dimensional pieces, they were still sort of secondhand or crap that I found. And then I put them all together and altered them to make them sort of this, this one entity, right? And so in the two-dimensional work before, I was using a lot of secondhand books, um, paper materials that I would just come in contact with. And then when that transitioned to the installation, it was TVs that I found at the dump near my house or bought from Calls for Paws or uh, airplanes I got from the dollar store and um, spray insulation over, you know, old yoga balls. Um, So it's still all of this sort of, I'm not one of those artists, it's like one man's junk is another man's (laughs) treasure. But like, it was kind of junk. um, And it's not treasure, but it was closer, maybe. Although some people are probably like, damn it, I would use that airplane. Um, So uh, that part remained the same. But you're right, adding that third dimension does change things. Um, It literally changed my studio because it takes up a lot more space. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had orbs hanging all over my studio before they moved over to Flanders. But no, I didn't experience too much difficulty. I think a lot of the tools I use in my work and and in my personal life in the gallery or at my house um, helped me build out that third dimension. So I could think through the the structure, the space of adding that. I hate that I'm saying third dimension like 80 times over and over again. (laughs) Um, That third dimension. And so it didn't, you know, nothing crash no babies died um i didn't do too awful of a job of of it so i i think i can improve on it going forward so you talked about uh your house you have uh an extraordinary house with your husband brent uh can you talk a little bit about that i know that that's an ongoing very large project yeah um it'll either burn down or we'll die <laughs> um before that project comes to a close yeah we bought um a house that's off of yates mill pond road Almost exactly a year ago, it was um, designed and built in 1978 by architect John Meacham. He was the lead designer on the Googleplex. So he's done a lot of really important things, but our house was the first, so (laughs) he worked out a lot of his mistakes um, there. Uh, But it's beautifully designed and really well built. And it's, you know, he lived in it for 10 years. A family lived in it for 25. We've lived in it for one, and we've all... John built it and then altered it. The family that lived there altered it. Um, But we have the original plans, and we're going closer back to what John originally designed. Um, It's a passive solar house, so airflow is super important, um, especially because North Carolina is hot as hell during the summer. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of half walls. Our bedroom is above the kitchen and open to the kitchen. Um, It's a really, it's a creative space. Um, You know, three days after we close, we ripped down we took a bedroom out. We ripped down, you know, four walls. I, I'm afforded a creative life because my husband that you mentioned, Brent, he's a creative person too. And so he allows me to go through with stupid ideas that I have. Um, but he was the one that fell in love with our house. So, I mean, he so sort of fault. encourages. Is that what you're saying? It's his fault? <laughs> it is slightly his fault. I mean, I wasn't going to lose that battle after... After we found it, but um, yeah, we had to buy it at auction because it's not traditional. It doesn't have an HVAC system, which is a 
big problem for mortgage companies mm. in North Carolina. So everything about it has been difficult and awesome. Yeah, that's since, cool. Since we first saw it on Realtor.com, I was going to say closed, but no, <laughs> it's just interesting long before that. <laughs> yeah. So um, thinking again about um, teaching, how does that affect your own work or how you approach your own work? When you go and, and teach a class, what are you learning through that experience or do you feel like you're learning something? Yeah, um, that's actually changed the way I think about our educational programs at VAE too is because when I have to teach a course, you know, I'm I'm teaching people to do things that I do on autopilot in my studio. So I, I think through four steps in one step and mm -hmm. move on. But when you get in front of a group of 12 people or whatever, however big the class, and you have to explain all of those steps, it reinforces that process. It it makes you think through if there's a better way to do it. You know, they'll, they challenge me. Um, they're like, hey, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's going to work. That shit's going to fall apart. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you know, that might, that shit might fall apart. Um, and so then I, I do it better or I try to like show off for them and like make my process better. So I'm like using super glue in the studio. But when I go in there, I'm like, oh, I use this fancy ass glue right here. Um, no, I don't lie to them. I won't lie to you either. Thank you. Um, yeah, but it it does change the way you think about it. And then for me, when I teach these mixed media classes, I see people using a process similar to mine, but their own, and materials similar to mine, but their own. And they, you know, it's always different. Um, and so I start to see these things, and that starts filtering back into what I'm doing in my studio. It changes my process a little bit. So basically, you're stealing all their ideas and calling right. them your own. That's yeah. Warren talking. That's not me. But I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I get all these people in a room and I tell them three things, and then they <laughs> all do their own work, and then I'm like, oh, hey, that's pretty good. I do have a show coming up. I will take that. Thank you. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so we're gonna do a quick break. Do you mind hanging out for a minute, uh, Brandon, and then we'll start back no, up? I hope you have a sponsor to thank. Real Kitty Kitty Litter is the first and only all-in-one pet kit. Are you tired of having to make two trips to rescue a new cat? We thought so. First, you have to drive all the way to the shelter and then off to the pet store. To hell with that. Real Kitty Kitty Litter comes with a free kitten in every box. You're welcome. Hurry now while supplies last. Seriously, hurry. Real kitty kitty litter. Meow. Hey you, Rachel Herrick. Hey, Jeff Bell. I wanted to get your take on the, what's going on in Raleigh here now and maybe in the future that oh. you're interested in, that you're thinking about. I know you write pieces sometimes for the Raleigh Agenda. Well, gosh, I have a regular column in the Raleigh Agenda. Is it a regular column? It is. I'm a columnist. Tell me about that. Well, I write a column. <laughs> Damn it, Rachel. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> So what's been happening so far, and we might we might shake it up in the future. I don't know, but I am the the resident visual art guru for the Raleigh Agenda, which is a fun sort of lifestyle blog that's been run by Grayson Curran, who used to write for the Indie, mm -hmm. and it covers all kinds of stuff like music and dance and shopping and all the things. Well, eating, 
Mm. Sleeping. I don't. I don't know if it. Does I've sleep. never read anything about sleeping on there, but go ahead. Oh man, I want to write that because mm-hmm. I have to do a lot of research. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, I read a monthly column about what's coming up for that month in Raleigh, and it's a it's a great blog if you want to find out sort of what's going on. And uh, my favorite thing to do is to follow them on Facebook, so they show up in my feed, and I can stay in the know on mm-hmm. what's happening. But they, uh, Grayson also writes a personalized email newsletter every morning and it's actually it's pretty funny mm-hmm. and charming so i like to to read that first thing in the morning too i hope i don't steal your upcoming idea but is there a show or anything that you're interested in that's coming up so here's here's the fun thing about the raleigh art community mm-hmm. press releases aren't so much a thing until right before the show opens right so i have some inkling about what's coming down the pike Mm-hmm. But honestly, my readers find out almost the same time I do. Right. <laughs> so you got to check Raleigh Agenda if you want to know what's happening in visual art in Raleigh. Are we still talking, Warren? Are we talking? So we are back with Brandon Cordry, uh, continuing our conversation. We wanted to talk a little bit more about VAE, the amazing programming there. I know one of the the big things that VAE took over quite a while ago is SparkCon, and that's just a humongous uh, beast with a lot of different heads. Can you talk a little bit about SparkCon uh, and and sort of some of those avenues that people can show and see artwork? Yeah. Um, so SparkCon is a four day uh, multidisciplinary creativity festival and it happens in downtown Raleigh on Fayetteville Street and the side streets Um, so basically that big rectangle that is downtown Raleigh and then venues that are also off the footprint have programming as well like we're doing our big fashion show this year is at Cam Raleigh. Sparkon is a a weird beast as you mentioned Um, it is not organized like most festivals um, which are more top-down you know sort of picking a theme or thinking about the days and hours um, that it's going to be and then inviting people to be a part of it. Instead, we really look to the creative community that's now sort of built into SparkOn, but new people sort of come on board each year, and they start to think about what they want to do. They think about what they want to do with all of downtown for four days. And then they're organized into Sparks. Um, So we have like Circus Spark, and they have their own sort of group of artists and group of organizers and then they have a lead spark with a few others and they have a bobblehead and that bobblehead is sort of our organizing team they meet just as often as we have general meetings and they meet with the staff at VAE because they're not staff for SparkCon Um, most people don't associate SparkCon with VAE but we're the we're the producing organization so um we have the two founders, Beth and Ali Khalifa, and then we have Sarah Powers, our executive director, and Chase Bryan, who is our events director, and she has been involved with SparkCon for several years now. She was a contractor first, and now she's on staff. And they're sort of this this team at the top, but they don't direct down. They're really listening to what people want to do and then going, is that legal? What are what are the safety implications? Will the city of Raleigh let us do that? Then that structure provides insurance. It provides the permitting. You know, work, we work with the city of Raleigh so that the circus performers don't have to do that on their own. So we really sort of just provide this platform 
and the whole community gets to decide how they want to use it. Anybody can be involved in SparkCon. Um, anybody listening to this could be. So we also have street painting that happens, which sort of are one thing that adds continuity to the whole event footprint. Um, it goes all the way down Fayetteville Street. There's Music Spark, so there's bands playing at like four different stages. There's Fashion Spark, which has a jewelry trunk show, which is local metalsmiths showing their work and a big fashion show. We have Theater Spark, so there's pop-up theater performances that happen, Design Spark, Comedy Spark, so there's actually comedy that happens throughout the festival. Um, there's a, a comedy show one night, and there's also... For previous years, I hope this year too, there are um, comics on the R-Line, which is Raleigh's free bus system, and they just do comedy for anybody that wants to get on the R-Line. But it's a mix. You know, there are kids from elementary schools who are drawing on the street and chalk, and then there are professional artists, professional bands, professional fashion designers. This year, in partnership with Red Hat, we'll have an artist who's coming from Columbia, South Carolina, to do an installation in their lobby, which is... with they're calling the open gallery. And so for those four days, he's going to be working on this latch hook piece that's going to be built right on the wall and spill out onto the floor. And so people can go by and check in on the progress as they go around the festival. So it's it's really accessible and it provides a platform to many different people, which is what makes it a little bit crazy if you're one of the five staff members <laughs> involved in this and, and as you said it's it's very easy to get involved with it's very easy to, to volunteer or to get involved with one of the individual sparks how does a person uh locate that online yeah so um you go to sparkcon.com and we have monthly general meetings um anyone is welcome to come to those hear what's happening and then you can sort of self-direct and go, oh, I'm interested in circus or what I want to do aligns with art spark, um, whatever. And you can also just email, you know, anybody basically at VAE and we can get you hooked in with the with the organizer of your choice. Um, if you want to volunteer, you can also go to sparkon.com and we have lots of opportunities to volunteer, which... Um, sometimes involve riding scooters or... Um, <laughs> I've seen that. I want a scooter. Yeah, the scootering is pretty great. Fayetteville Street is longer than it looks. <laughs> so if, you know, all the, the staff members and the contractors hop on scooters to get from one end to the other. Uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty nice. Mm -hmm. VAE also does a, a big um, auction once a year. That's a big uh, fundraiser for you guys. And, and can you talk a little bit about that? When is that? Yeah, so we have um, an annual gala that involves um, a silent auction and a live auction. So people from our creative community, the way I like to put it is for 364 days of the year, we provide you with educational things and exhibition opportunities. And if you want to, because nobody has to, for one day of the year, you can um, throw a piece of art at us and we'll throw it at, but not really, um, a person who loves art in the community. And all those funds help to raise the money for the next year's educational programs and exhibition opportunities. Um, and so we have, um, it's at the Marriott each year. We just set the date for 2017, which is, oh God, uh, February 25th. It's called the For the Love of Art Gala and Auction. And uh, it's our big party each year that we can sort of invite everybody to. Artists are invited. Um, People come with their sponsorship, you know, the, the corporations that sponsor us. So people that don't really get around art that much come. And the people that come every year, the mayor comes every year. And she, you know, thank goodness the city of Raleigh's mayor loves art or 
we might not have jobs. Um, and so it's a really good collaborative evening where people just get to dress funky and drink Do some you mean beverages. yourself? Yeah, so uh, the invitation says creative attire encouraged. Um, I do try to one-up myself each year. I, I started in basically all black, which was boring my first year. I was being a little conservative for the job. <laughs> and then I had a floral blazer, and last year I had a full-on floral suit. So I think I just have to go naked this year. I think that's basically the only way to one-up it. You shut up, Warren. Nope. I do what I want. You, you do what you need to do, Brandon. That suit last year was incredible, though. Yeah, because Jeff was one of our jurors Je- last year. Jeff, Jeff was lucky enough to be able to go last yeah, year. Yeah, Jeff so and Reagan came time. and hung out with us. It was a good time. And Warren donated a piece, which was beautiful. He did. That's right, Warren. Good good job, Warren. Sometimes I'm proud of the old Warren. He does well. Mm-hmm. You just wouldn't know it by meeting him. No. So so one thing uh, uh, that I think is, as a person who works at a museum who installs artwork, uh and I think a lot of people that come and see our work is it's easy to forget what that involves. One of the things that I've seen uh, that you guys do, which is really interesting, you guys came and visited me when I was at CAM and also have uh, at 21C is um, a group of installers. So in the past, VAE, you would sort of have a call out for volunteers and random folks showed up and you would have to teach them how to install. But you've really made an effort to kind of put together a core group of folks that you can teach about installation and uh, and help you with those shows. What's that program called? Uh, so there are uh, the preparators, which is the preparators. That's a funny word that really people in the museum world know and word does not. <laughs> word uh, does not know. No, that they always want to autocorrect to like predators or something <laughs> awful. <laughs> it's a real word, but uh it's an opportunity for them to learn about what people do in professional settings with art. So, you know, we came and visited you because Cam was doing an installation and we were talking about what that looks like, what the what it's like when art comes in and it's crated up. And then how does that transition to it being on the wall? And it's not putting a nail on the wall and hanging the piece. There's a lot of work that goes in to designing to doing any sort of spatial changes, so building walls or um, moving walls, painting walls. And we do still, it's still open to anybody. They can come and hang out with us on install nights or they can come on a field trip, but we do have this core group of people who have learned a lot. And what it's done is it's fed their professional practices. So they, you know, they're like, oh, I do prefer (laughs) D-rings over wire, or I, um, All of my wires should be, you know, I want them all to be eight inches, um, an eight inch drop from the top of the frame because that makes it easier to hang. There are a lot of places that are alternative venues that will let artists put their work up and have a reception. And so these artists now can take better advantage of those um, opportunities by installing their work so that it looks very professional, lighting it so that it looks really professional, um, putting labels up that, that give the pertinent information um yeah so i hope that it has well i know that it's helped them but i hope that it continues to help more people um we normally install the tuesday before each first friday and if you want to volunteer with us you don't have to be a vae member or anything like that we have people that come from durham and and garner and fuqua verena so it's open to anybody we do it from five to eight and you can come anytime and i always buy pizza for people um <laughs> Not fancy pizza, because we're on a budget here, people. <laughs> um, 
But uh, you just email me, Brandon at visualartexchange.org, and I'll I'll add you to the list, and you'll get a little email from me going, hey, let's bang some hammers, mm-hmm. after I just said that's not what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I first went to the Visual Art Exchange when I was an undergrad in Wilmington. I'm going to guess this was like 1996 or 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was at the, the city market, and it looked extraordinarily different from what we see today. Obviously, VAE has gone through a lot of changes. Their community involvement, the programming, um, the the education, the sort of uh, the, the nature of the work that you see on the wall, and it's always sort of changing. What can we expect to see? What kind of changes down the road can we expect to uh, see that might be a little different? Yeah, we moved to a much larger space five years ago. There was nothing in the warehouse district then, really. Cam was renovating its space and opening. Flanders was there. Um, 311 next door. Design Box moved in. Brasco started showing art. That whole space has changed, and we've sort of reacted to those changes. And we are renewing our lease. We'll stay there for a little while longer and see what happens in the warehouse district. But mostly because the art's for being what some people see as frivolous, we do sort of help to change areas of the city, help or hurt, whichever. And so nobody came into the warehouse district and then all of these arts organizations started moving over there and now you have all of this development happening. So it may be that we move, but we have to be very conscious of that move. We don't, we want to pick the right location. Um, you know, we want to know if anybody else is going to move. So um, we don't have any plans to move right now, but the changes that have happened in the organization are really driven by the people in, in charge. I'm doing air quotes because you can't see that. Um, so we're not really <laughs> in charge. Um, but uh, we have an awesome team of people. So our executive director is Sarah Powers, and she's been there 11 years. Our business director is Erica Corey, and she's been there for 12 or 13 years now. Uh, Rachel Herrick is a fantastic artist, and she is our director of initiatives, and she's been there just a little bit longer than me. And Chase Bryan is our director of uh, community events, and she joined the staff as a staff member when I did. And so us around a table having meetings or coffee and talking and really drives a lot of that programming because four out of five of us are artists and Chase is an art lover and has been in the creative community for a long time. So we know people like you two fools um, and we are always talking to them and that helps feed where we change. So our exhibitions have changed, membership has changed um, and those things will continue. I think our physical space is going to change soon. We want our gallery to be more flexible. So there are some walls that need to come down so that we can have moving walls so that we can be more reactive to what people want to exhibit. And if it's light sensitive, we'll we'll have more flexibility to do things like that. If it needs a 10 by 10 space, we could move walls in to have that. And we have an avenue for that, just a plug. Uh, We have a, a pitch please call for art that stays open all the time. Whatever creative idea you have, you throw it at us. If it's that you need direction towards grant funding or you need a property developer that might have an empty warehouse at the time or you just need to come in and chat with us, we can help you to figure that out. It might not be that we can do it in one of our spaces, but we could point you somewhere else. So I think we're just 
we're not changing to change the community. We're just reacting to the changes we're already seeing out there. Before we wrap up, I want to um, apologize for the sorts of things that Warren emails the staff at VAE. I, I don't think it's terribly appropriate on behalf of this person, me. I, I, I'm because deeply, you're now publicly tied to him. We are. I'm deeply Deeply sorry, VAE uh, staff. There's nothing to be sorry for. Warren sends long, long, rambling emails <laughs> about the injustices he sees with VAE and our staff <laughs> and our programming. And I have, I have a theory that they're actually truthful. They're just disguised in sarcasm. <laughs> but it only endears him to us more. He knows that he's just he's getting more opportunities by being an asshole. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is that that Warren. That's a skill that Warren has. Uh, he. He treats me poorly, but I love him more and more as we go along. Well, and your skill is being like a really nice, amazing person. And Did then you hear that? Are like, oh, Jeff, I love him. Yes, give him all the money. Yes, give him all the money. So, um, thank you so much for joining us today, Brandon Cordry. Me. And I want to make sure we list your website. Can you give that to us? Yeah, it's just brandoncordryart.com. So. B-R-A-N-D-O-N-C-O-R-D-R-E-Y-A-R-T dot com. It's it, super long because some jackass in Texas stole BrandonCordry.com. But we will also have um, some images of your work on our website and links to your website and to VAE. You're so fancy. Oh, man. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Don't You Lie to Me is funded in part by the Visual Art Exchange's Lighter Fluid Award. If you aren't familiar with those fine people, you should check out their website for more information about their exhibitions, artist benefits, and special programming. Their website is vaerally.org. We also want to thank, of course, Matt McMichaels for the use of his studio, Trusty Woods, his equipment, and his patience. The theme song was composed by our own Warren Hicks, and the logo design was by Artsy Martha. Thank you for listening, and please tell your friends to listen as well. 